Bibles, open them up. We're ready for First uh, Kings, chapter excuse me, chapter nineteen. So I told you guys last week. I don't know if you remember, but we ended, and I told you guys next week we got a lot to cover. So I got to get right into the scripture next week, and uh, so hopefully we're going to do that right now. We're going to get right into it. Let's pick it up um, in. Uh, let's go verse. Uh, we, we started already. Let's just go chapter 19, verse 1. We covered some of this, but just kept catching the context. Uh, maybe not. No, we will do that, but I can't see right now. There we go. I can see, just not as well as I can with these on. Yeah, 19.10, you're right. That's why I have my note. But we'll start in one, and we'll catch up. There's a couple of things I'm going to hit as we get it and catch it in context. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and also he had also had executed the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. And when he saw that he arose and ran for his life and he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servants there. So the first part of this, this kind of down, uh, fall for Elijah here is it's going to end up in him in a bad position and in uh, depression, you know, which is kind of, you know, ironic that he has this duel with the prophets of Baal and um, he wins this this great duel. And then uh, and then this one woman is after him and he, you know, tucks his tail and he runs to the other side of the country. And it says in verse five, it says, or in verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. How many of you guys spend too much time sitting under a broom tree feeling sorry for yourselves? Yeah, sometimes. And he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And, and then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay, lay down again. And we covered all this last week. And the angel of the Lord, we said that was Jesus. Most likely when you see this angel of the Lord, that that's, that's a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. The Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, arise. Second time he tells him to arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So I just wanted to catch that verse so we could uh, get back to verse 10 where we left off last week. But um, so Elijah is, um, and we're going to go ahead and just use the term, Elijah is going to go through depression. And he's going to be depressed, he's going to be downtrodden, he's going to feel sorry for himself. And I love that as this, this journey of his heart begins, um, he's been laboring for the Lord. And, and a lot of, um, not easy, you know, when he went to King Ahab, um, it was, yeah, I don't know, it's necessarily the off with his head days, but without a doubt, um, a, a real life situation where you go to the king and his wicked wife and you, you challenge them and, and there, there's definitely the threat of life, of, of death over your life and, and, and not a, not a popular position or place to be. And so in Elijah's ministry, very powerful, but yet um, very tumultuous and scary at times and, you know, real life. And we, we read the story, and I don't want us to ever disconnect with the real lives of the people that, that we read about, that these were real stories. I mean, that was not, um, you know, these are not 
um, parables or they're not just illustrations that God uses to teach us something. This is real life events. It's one of the things that makes God so fascinating and, and fabulous and powerful and, and, and articulate in what he does that he, he teaches and he tells story through actual events of people who had free will and choice. And yet, as God God is, is sovereign and he directs and he, and he records these situations that, that we learn. The Bible says that we have these Old Testament um, examples as just that, examples for our lives today. So Elijah, who, again, is, you know, he, he's in trouble and he goes to the king and he tells the king it's not going to rain for three and a half years. And he prays and it stops raining. And, and then he, he goes and he, he hides. Do you remember where we first found Elijah? That he went during that season of three and a half years with no rain, and, and he stayed with the widows, the widow and her son. And God performed the miracle for the widow of the flour and the oil and, and the cakes. And, and then during that season of staying with this pagan widow woman who eventually becomes a believer, and her son dies, and Elijah prays for her son. And God raises him from the dead. And, and then towards the end of that season, God says, now go back to Ahab and, and, and tell him that it's going to rain. And when Elijah shows up before he gives the, the prophecy and the prayer that it's going to rain again, he, he challenges the nation of Israel. And again, very unpopular and, 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 and you know, a, a live fish swimming upstream. I think it was Chuck who used to say, any dead fish can float downriver. But as a Christian, you're a live fish and you're swimming against the current. And as the world is coming, you know, any dead fish can float down the, the river. And so Elijah is definitely swimming upstream. And he's challenging not only the, the prophets of Baal to this duel to the death, but also the, the mentality and the, the life of the people of Israel. And, and he gives that, that very biblical, very, very... Um, continued statement that we find in the Bible that Joshua so powerfully gave in the days of, of Joshua and Jesus repeated and, and, and the sentiment is choose this day who you will serve if the Lord is God then serve him but, if, but, if, but quit vacillating how long will you, will you go back and forth between two gods Jesus said either you're for me or you're against me there's no gray area there's no gray area as a Christ follower you can't be partially in or partially a Christ follower. They're, 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 you know, you're either for me or you're against me. Joshua said, choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Elijah said, how long will you falter between two opinions? The same exact sentiment between all three of these, these heroes of the Bible. And, and, and then God answers by fire and lights his altar. And um, Elijah then in victory takes the 450 false prophets of Baal, and he, you know, which we don't understand right in our culture and our day. But he, he takes them and he has them all killed, every one of them by the sword, 450 of them. And then as we get into chapter 19, um, Jezebel shows up where she's not on the scene. She wasn't there on Mount Carmel for some reason or around. And, and Ahab tells her the events of the day and what Elijah did. And she gets upset and she says, if I don't do to him and more so also um, by the end of the day. And Elijah gets afraid and he begins to run. And, and he's going to end up in a place that we can all relate to. He's going to end up in a place of, of self-pity and of depression and of struggle. And, you know, one of the things that the Bible is, um, again, uh, uh, very thorough on is the condition and how we guard our hearts. 
Paul talked about it. Jesus talked about it multiple times. In, in Jesus' final statements in John 14, hours before he was going to die, die on the cross, in his fourth quarter, Hail Mary, final message, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. The Apostle Paul tells us to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Hearts, 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 the condition of your heart. Because if in the condition of your heart, if you, if you put false things in your heart about where God is or who God is or where God was when you were going through a difficult situation. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you and I go to prepare a place for you and where I go, I'll come again and I'll bring you unto myself. And Thomas said, Lord, where are you going? And how can we know the way? And then, and then Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. And then in verse 7, he, he, he gives the promise of, of the Holy Spirit. I'll go away, but I'll send a helper. In John 14, and, and, and so we see that, you know, the, the two things that are questioned. And they said, Thomas said, right after that, he says, Lord, show us. He said, Jesus, the Father, and that'll be good for us. Jesus said, Thomas, how long do I need to be with you? If you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father. So, so again, we, we, when our hearts are troubled, you know, when we get depressed, when we struggle, what are the two things that we see in John 14 and other places where Paul talks about? It's really a condition of the heart. And what happens in the heart is that we, in our mind, we, we maybe make false assumptions and false um, accusations and, and, um, about really where was God? Where were you, God, when I was going through this trouble? Did you not show up? Were you not with me? Could you not? What did, what did Martha and Mary both say to Jesus when their brother died? Lord, if you had been here, where were you? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, where were you and why were you not here when we were going through this trouble? And it's a false narrative. It's a false reality about who God is and where God is in your life. And, and again, Elijah is going to have the same exact symptom of the heart that's consistent with human life, with, with the Bible, with all of us. And, and where were you, God? And I'm the only one, and I'm on an island, and I'm doing all this stuff for you, and you're not even showing up. Now, what, what's so fickle about, about Elijah, and before we judge him, don't forget this. You are him. You are like him. You, you have the same tendency. You have the same struggle, the same passion. But don't you look at this story of Elijah doubting God's presence and God's power and God's ability to save him from this woman and say, Elijah, did, did you not see a woman make food from a little bit of flour and a little bit of, of, of oil for three years? Did, did God not just show up in your life this year and feed you supernaturally with ravens dropping food at your feet when you were hungry? Did you not pray for a little boy and see God raise him from the dead? Did you not see God bring fire from heaven and consume a wet altar? And five minutes later, Elijah, you're asking God, where were you? Where are you? And not trusting that God can deliver you from this situation. And you've spiraled into a, a, a place of depression. Sound familiar? Does it sound like our lives 
So why do we have these, why do we, we painstakingly study and, and go through these stories? And so, again, really blessed and proud of you folks that come out on Wednesday nights to go through this. And as you can see, you know, it's not, it's not real popular. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not a Sunday message. And, you know, it's, it's a different heart. It's a different style. We're, we're doing something a little bit different. But there's a power in seeing, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as we put these stories in our hearts and in our lives, it gives you, listen, a supernatural ability to overcome things, to have a different perspective on things because we know these stories, because we have these examples. There is a power, a real power in studying and reading and knowing the word of God and in what we're doing. And so we see Elijah and we're, we're maybe, you know, we want to judge him. And, and we're upset because he's, he seems to have lacked faith when we've just seen God show up in his life miraculously so many times. And, and yet it's just a picture of us. It's, it's a mirror that, you know, we, we should pull out and, and look at in our own lives and guard our hearts. And so um, now and again, verse seven says at the end of it, the Lord said, and, and arise and eat. And, and why did God tell him to arise and eat? Because the what? The journey's too great for you. I love it. He, God, God didn't show up. God's not going to show up in your life and say to you, come on, man, you got this. You can do it. You got this. Like it, you, you look within you and you find the solution and the, and the power and, and, and you got it. You know what the world tells us? You know, there's a progression of magazines, and I don't know the study, but it's really cool, and I've heard it. I just can't repeat it really well, but I'm going to give you the just. And it's true. You start like in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and you look at the name of the most popular magazine um, that's out. And it started with um, World, and, and, and then it, it graduates to more and more um, self type of stuff and then it's people and then it's us and then it's we and then it's I magazine and um, you watch this progression and really culturally I think it was um, it wasn't Nancy Reagan right Nancy Reagan was just say no but it was one of the first ladies and 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 the 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 campaign along the lines of the just say no campaign and um, my my kids don't like Obama's wife because they said she took all the good food out of school but her campaign was healthy food in school. And, um, but this, this campaign was in the education system in the United States, and it was United States-wide, and it was from the presidential level, and, and, it, and it, was, you know, it was a big deal. And the whole idea was that Americans lack self-esteem, and the reason why our kids are struggling and on drugs and, and are, 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 are having all these problems is because of self-esteem issues. And again, the, 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 the self magazine, the us and the we. And, the, and, and, and so the world and, and the psychology and everybody wanted to make the solution building your kid's self-esteem, building your self-esteem. And it's the farthest thing from godly truth. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah, he says, the heart is desperately wicked above all things and who can know it? You know, you know what's at, at the heart of, of every person is wickedness and debauchery and evil and, 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 and when the world says to look within yourself and find the answers, and, and, and an uh, atheistic and an evolutionary worldview is that each person at their core is good. And, and so you, you find that good in you and you look within yourself and the powers in yourself and the strength is in yourself. 
And, it, and it's the farthest thing from the truth. The Bible says again that the heart is desperately wicked above all things who can know it. Uh, Jeremiah 17.9 if you're taking notes. You know, to, to illustrate this, you know, the reality is that, 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 that God says here to Elijah, he says, the journey is too great for you. The heart is desperately wicked above all things who could know it. What is God saying here? You're a failure. Give up. The journey's too great for you, man. No, and he's not saying you can do it. What God is saying is what? I can do it. I'll be with you. My presence go with you. And, and, and we have to realize that we can't do it. We can't solve it. We can't figure it out. But we have a loving, heavenly Father who wants to be there for us and, and that it's in His presence and His power. Jeremiah tells us, or Zechariah tells us, not, <clears throat> not by power nor by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. It's by the Spirit of God in your life. And the issue is not, oh, you're going to fail, the strength's not in you. The issue is to understand that, that don't look within yourself for answers. Don't look within yourself for, for solutions and that, that it's not within. And what the world told us and what the presidential campaign said, that the problem is self-esteem. And I told you guys on Sunday a couple weeks ago about a, a popular pastor who was saying that the children of Israel, the reason why they didn't enter the promised land was because they lacked self-esteem. And that walks right down the secular party line. And I'm sure it was super popular and received super well. And it would have been aired on Larry King and Oprah and everybody else because it walked right down the, the worldly secular party line that, that the answer is within yourself. But apart from Jesus, the, the, you can do nothing. And apart from Jesus, your heart is capable of, of, of some desperate and wicked evil. You know, to illustrate this point, I, I, I tell a story, and I know it's bad, but, and I know it's harsh. But, but it does get the point across, and it's a true story. But, you know, and I don't know how well, you know, we've, we follow, you guys follow, but the Serbians and the Bosnians have, have been, you know, at war with each other, like the Hatfields and McCoys for all of human history. And, and the wars between the Serbians and the Bosnians have, you know, have been bloody and brutal, and they've been warring tribes and nations and countries for forever. The World War started in the, in the Balkans. And there's a story of a Serbian army who's um, at uh, in, in, in the um, enemy's house and they have a family and the soldiers enter the house and they, they first murder some of the people in the family and they leave the brother and the, they murder the mom. They leave the brother, the, the daughter and the, the father alive. And then the soldiers all rape the daughter in front of the mother, in front of the, the, the father and the, and the son. And then when the soldiers are done, they put a gun to the son's head and they tell him, if you don't, if you don't rape her, we're going to murder you. And, and then the son rapes his sister. And then they murdered him in front of the father. And then they told the father the same thing and he refused and they murdered them both. We, 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 we just saw in Salt Lake City a young girl who was a prostitute, like it or not. She was meeting a guy in a park at 3 in the morning to have sex for money. And he takes her to his house and murders her, tries to burn her body in the backyard. Young college kid here in Salt Lake City recently. You've all seen the story. What? Which one of you could meet a 22-year-old girl in a park, 
Take her to your house, rape her, murder her, and burn her body in your backyard. Anybody? Which one of you guys could, could, could in, a, in a house of soldiers, um, rape a girl in front of her family and then, and then murder her, her brother and father and force her brother to rape her after, you, after the whole soldiers have got done raping her? What is it in the heart of man that, that is capable and able to do such terrible wicked, nasty, dirty atrocities. Are you capable of doing that? The answer obviously is, of course not. I, could, I couldn't imagine. You know, I, and I don't, I don't fancy myself a, a violent person. And um, even in L.A., growing up in the, you know, in, in a violent environment at times, I was always the least violent person. I hated violence. I'm the type of person that even now, like, you know, I'm watching a basketball game. I'm a big sports fan. And you know, basketball player comes down and breaks his ankle as he's landing, and they show it 47 times in close. I, I can't watch it. I'm like, the boys are like, oh, dad, check it out. Or even MMA. I don't like MMA. I'm not a big fan of MMA, and I don't have a moral issue with it, really, that I'm making a bone about. I just don't like all the blood, and I don't like broken bones, and I can't watch it. And if I see it, i got to close my eyes. And, and I think, man, there's, I, I couldn't even – I wouldn't, never want to hurt nobody. To do those things is – how could a human do that to another human? How? The answer is simple. The heart is desperately wicked above all things who can know it. And that, and that, that men are capable, women are capable of terrible, terrible, terrible deeds. You know, you know the, 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 the brave men and women of our, of our armed forces in the last 15 years that have come home from Afghanistan and, you know, to the point where... Um, you know, I, I, I don't know, because I've been quoting this for a couple of years now. A couple of years ago, it was a valid stat, but it was 22 veterans that were, that were committing suicide a day in the United States that had, come, that had been in, in one of the Iraq-Afghanistan wars in the last 20 years. 22 a day because of the, 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 the PTSD and the trauma. And what happens, unfortunately, is you do things and you're forced to do things or you have to do things that you, you didn't know you were capable of. And you become a person that you never wanted to become. And it's, it's, it's um, very difficult to go back and forth between being that soldier in the battlefield and doing what you have to do and coming home and being somebody else. And, it, and it's a struggle to make that transition. And so, um, again, not, not just to depress everybody and gross everybody out, but um, I'm illustrating a point. And maybe maybe over the top. I apologize if it's too over the top tonight for your taste. But listen, the point is that it's God in your life. Listen, it's Jesus. And apart from Jesus, you, you are capable. Now, none of us would like to think we could ever or would ever and, and, you know, do any of those kind of things to anybody else. But other human beings have and do do those things. And the way they got there was, I'm sure, to some degree, a slow fade. I'm sure it was farther and farther and farther away from God and a little bit and a little bit and a little bit that grew and grew and grew and grew and became something that they're not. And God says to Elijah, and then I'm still on verse 7, I'm going to move on. He says to Elijah, you can't do it. The journey's too great for you. And so again, it's not about us. We don't lack self-esteem. You know, if I took a picture of all you guys right now, big selfie, and next week, I blew that picture up real big. And when you came in church next Wednesday night, I had it on the wall right here. And you guys walk up to see the picture. Who's the first person you're going to look for? 
<laughs> it ain't going to be me. <laughs> You're going to find yourself first in that picture, right? Why? Because you hate yourself? Because you got low self-esteem issues? No, we, we, we by nature, we love ourselves. And um, in verse 8, all right, I'm pressing myself now, sorry. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that forty day food, 40 days and 40 nights, as far as Horeb, the Mount of God. And there he went into a cave, and he spent the night in that place. We talked about last week that being a definite article. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Everybody say, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, Elijah said, I have been. What do we call have-beens? Have-beens with an S. A what, Karen? What did you say? Has-beens. That's right, has-beens. Well, you, know, you know what you don't want to be in life? <laughs> has-been. And so Elijah says here, and you know what you don't want to be in Christianity? A has-been. And you know what? It's tough, man. I don't, I don't, you know, I'm walking it with you. I'm not walking it different from you. I'm walking it next to you. But but Christianity's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And it's got highs and lows. And we see here in Elijah's life a, a classic example of somebody who knows God, who, who believes. You know, the issue of these guys, because I think even for not... Maybe not if you've been walking with the Lord longer. Maybe you've come to that point where that's not an issue for me. Um, hopefully not an arrogance, but it's not an issue for me. But I think for new believers or for different people, the issue of whether God really exists or whether the Bible is really true. Like, I've, I've come past that. Like, that's not my issue. You know, for some of you, maybe you're newer to Christ that, you know, that still comes up. That doubt still comes up. That, that struggle still happens in your life. Um, but with Elijah, although he had struggles, that was not one of them. He was, he was positive, you know, that, 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 that God was who he said he was. The Bible was real. There was a God. He didn't struggle with any of those other things. But he's seen the power and the hand of God. And yet in, in life there's ebbs and flows. And there's, there's, you know, the Christian life, the Christian walk is, is not a sprint. And so many times we come out of the gate and we're sprinting and we're, you know, we're loving Jesus and we're coming to church and we're growing and we're, you know, and then, eventually again in a slow fade we can we can fade away right or we can we can walk away and so here he says i have been you know i like how god puts together and i'm sure it'd be anywhere we were in the bible but because it's it's two places but usually where we are on wednesday nights and sunday nights there's always some kind of correlation um you don't have to turn there if you don't want but i'm real quick in hebrews listen um and i've illustrated this but there's two there's four actually i'll just show you two of them in the book of hebrews about not becoming a has-been or not fading away, not falling away. One of the one of the warnings of the writer of the book of Hebrews is that um, in your life as a Christian, as a Christ follower, there there's going to be an opportunity, a tendency to fall away, to fade away. So don't let that happen to you. Be on your guard for it. Watch for it. Know that um, you you can't be lukewarm. If you're lukewarm, that's a recipe for, for, for being vomited out of the mouth of God, Jesus said. And, and the only way that we're going to make sure that we don't fall into this, this trap of, of, of the slow fade or falling away from God or falling away from church, that, um, that we stay as close to God as, as, as we can be, that we stay on fire for the Lord. So in Hebrews chapter 2 in verse 1, it says, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest... 
we drift away. So the warning in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, to, to give heed to doctrine, to give heed to the things of God, or else you're gonna, you can and will fade away. And I think for me, my point in, in that and preaching that and teaching that last Sunday, two Sundays ago, was I, I want you to understand that um, that's a real possibility. Don't, don't ever think that, oh, no, not me. Or, no, you know, I, I am just one step away from going back to my old self and being in the world. I'm not... I have to be on my guard. I have to be, um, you know, I'm not immune, nor are you, nor is anybody. don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. I think things get easier. Temptations change. I don't have necessarily the same temptations I had as a new believer that I have now as as I've been walking with the Lord for a little bit longer. But I still have temptations. I still have struggles. I still know that if I don't stay close to God, that I'm very capable of, of fading back into my old self. And, and, and I guarantee you, usually what happens is the, um, the things that were familiar in the old life will be the things that I'll go back to. And, and so just being on your guard always that, that those things um, don't happen. You know, the, the, where every one of the people in the Bible who fell into sin or moral sin or, 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 or had something that was recorded for us of, of a failure in their life, in almost every case, it was in the area where the person was the strongest. You think they would fall where they were the weakest, but for whatever reason, that's usually not where we fall. You know, Abraham was was a giant of faith, and where was his sin? It was in a lack of faith. And and who knows? I heard a pastor say one time that's because in the areas that you know you're weak in, you you you're more concerned. You're praying. You're guarding. You're asking God to cover you and wash those areas. And in the parts that, that are not as big of a temptation to you or an area of your life that, that, that is a strength, you, you can tend to say, I got this, and rely on your own strength. And, and, and because it's not something that an uh, area where you would be likely to fall in or, or drift away in, that you don't pay it as much attention. And eventually that attitude can be dangerous if, again, where, 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 where God is telling Elijah in verse 7, the journey is too hard for you. And every journey is too hard for you. So you have to keep God in the forefront of every part of your life. And don't take any part of your life and say, oh, I got this. Um, and then in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12, listen, the second warning out of four, he says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So you, you, a warning from the Bible. You know, we talked about on Sunday, I think, a little bit, but the, that people want to make this about can you lose your salvation scripture. It, it, it's, it's, if you read the book of Hebrews, and I'm encouraging you guys um, for Sunday morning to be reading ahead and behind and, and staying with us in Hebrews, it'll help your Sunday mornings to, 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 to read ahead each week and just take a few minutes. But if you just read through the book of Hebrews, you'll, you'll, you'll kind of come across that. You'll just kind of in there, you know, and again, I'm not making a case for it, but the, the discussion of lose your salvation is very inherent in the, um, in the book of Hebrews. All right, so in um, verse number, back to 1 Kings, it says, I have been very zealous for the Lord of hosts and for the children of Israel, have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone, everybody say, I alone. So listen, am left and they seek my life. So when we're depressed, when we're, when we're feeling sorry for ourselves, what's, what's, what's a very typical symptom that we all have. We think we're on an island. We think we're alone. We think nobody cares, including God. 
Nobody's with me. I got to walk through this alone. I got to do life alone. I got to handle this alone. And, and I'm on an island. Well, listen, you plus God is always a majority. Elijah plus the Lord was a majority, even though there was one Elijah and 450 prophets of Baal. Elijah was still the majority because it was him plus God and the majority won again. And, and so God likes those odds, 450 to one. When usually when God wants to make a contest uh, semi-fair, he stacks the odds against himself 450 to 1. Same exact odds that Gideon faced with his 300, 450 to 1. Um, so he thinks that he's alone now and, and that he's the only one, the only way. And then in verse 11, then he said, I alone am left, take my life. So again, we've already talked about the, the half part they seek or they I am alone. They seek to take my life, which is true. They were trying to kill him. And so he's pouting. He's hiding under a broom tree and feeling sorry for himself. And then God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore into the mountains. So um, what does God tell him to do? It's the first thing God says after he tells him, I'm alone and there's nobody left. And I'm the only one that loves you. And I'm the only one that's serving you. Basically, Elijah is saying, I am retiring. Do you guys, do you guys remember uh, Jeremiah? A couple weeks ago, Jeremiah had the same problem, right? Remember Jeremiah was the, the, the prison prophet? We preached this on Sunday morning, and Jeremiah was the one who was put in prison, and he finally got frustrated, and he said, Lord, I'm no longer going to speak your name or your word anymore. I've had enough. Every time I speak your word, I end up in prison. I'm no longer going to speak your name. Same sentiment. And then, and then Zechariah said, but the word of the Lord burned in my heart like a fire and I could not but withhold it. Um, so he's kind of in that place. Elijah's like, Lord, I'm done. I'm retiring. Um, and, and God says, go out. There's still work to be done. What, what's, what's the first biblical cure, godly um, advice to a guy? And, and, and do you think, that, um, you think that God doesn't have sympathy for Elijah here? You think God's angry with him? Elijah's throwing a pity party. He's hiding under a broom tree. He, he, you know, God said to him, um, and I made you guys repeat it. He's going to ask again, so I was going to cover it in verse 13. But God said to him, what are you doing here? Not why are you here? And Elijah has this little rehearsed line, and he's going to repeat the same rehearsed line in a minute. But listen, I believe that God is compassionate in his response to Elijah, that God is compassionate to you and I in our response. But do you know that when you're, sometimes when you're um, throwing a pity party and you're in self-depression, you, you need a wake-up call. Sometimes you need someone to tell you you're being ridiculous. You know, I, I, for my wife and I, you know, there's times where, where I tell her, you know, you're being ridiculous. Or there's times where she'll tell me, you know, I know I'm being ridiculous, but I just need to vent. And I just need to get this off my chest. Or I just need to, I'll eventually get, and I know that she knows she's being ridiculous, so I can be compassionate. I don't have to just fix her. I can, I can be patient with her, knowing that, you know, she's going to eventually come around. She's going to have the right heart. She's going to figure out she's going to do the right thing. But she's going to, you know, sit under the broom tree for a little bit. And I'm going to allow her that. You know, I used to, when we were newly married, you know, and young in ministry, I was always trying to fix her and fix her and make her, you know, say the right things and do the right things. And, you know, I learned that that's not life. That's not reality. That's not, that's not even Christianity. 
than instead just to be compassionate towards her and, and let her vent a little bit and let her have her, her, her moment under the broom tree, you know. And the thing that I respect and love about her is that through years, you know, say things to me about what she's going to do to you folks when you when you make her mad. But, um, but you know, she'll vent, she'll say some stuff, and she'll blow off steam, and, and then she does the right thing. Push comes to shove, she, she eventually, she, she gets to the place where she'll, her actions are, she'll do the right thing. And I've watched it for 20 years. And, um, and so, but I, I think Elijah here is, um, or God here towards Elijah is compassionate, even though he's giving him some real bootstrap advice. Get up, arise, get out of here. You know, um, he says, get out of here. Go and stand on the mountain. John Corson teaches a class on um, a ten-part, ten things to do when you're facing depression, um, or if you're dealing with depression. And I don't know them all, but it's really good. I can recommend it to you. But I, I know the first one. The first one is um, in dealing with depression and in those times is to go and do something to serve somebody else. Go and do something, and if you're with, with whatever. Maybe even in the area that you're struggling or hurting in, you go find somebody else who's hurting or struggling in that area and you serve them and you do something nice for them and you give of yourself um, during that season. And then number two is go and do that nine more times. And that's really a, um, a part of the solution for feeling sorry for ourselves and, you know, is, is to get our eyes off of ourselves. The answer's not in ourselves. And so start serving. You know, you start serving and doing something nice for other people. You know, we've all experienced it, and, and, and Jesus, you know, wasn't kidding or, or wasn't exaggerating and, and wasn't giving fluff when he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And the joy that you feel in life by serving and giving of yourself. You know, and, 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 and as, as long as you're going to stay focused on the person in the mirror and on your problem, it's not going to get better. Get 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 out of your, your you know, yourself, get out of your way and... And, and serve somebody else. And so anyways, the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after that, the wind, an earthquake. Did the Lord show up in the earthquake? No, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. Oh, here's God. God's going to show up in the fire. A fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. So a strong wind, a tornado, and then an earthquake, and then the fire. And in all these things, God's voice and God's will was not present. And then it says, listen, biblical, biblical, biblical theology right here, okay? This is profound. This is something that is a staple of, of biblical theology for the way God speaks to you is this story in the life of Elijah right here in 1 Kings 19. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in the mount, in a mantle and went out and stood on the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, and we'll get that in a second, so God wasn't in the earthquake, he wasn't in the fire, he wasn't in the wind. He showed up to Elijah in what? In a still, small voice. So God speaks to us in a still, small voice, often. You know, I often say, and I don't want to um, dumb it down, and I don't want to oversimplify it, but um, I, I really believe that God speaks to us. Now, first of all, I just want to say this. God is really good at speaking to his people, Okay. 
So God doesn't have a problem talking to you. God doesn't have a problem communicating your will to you. I think it is a little bit of a skill that we acquire through practice and through putting it into into use. But I want to encourage you guys that God not only wants to talk to you, he's able to talk to you. You're able to hear his voice. Okay? But again, we, we just have to be careful. One of the things I get often, I tell you guys about this, is people get a dream and they think that God is speaking to them through some dream. And they usually will bring it in and they'll want me to um, interpret the dream or what was God trying to tell them in the dream. Now listen, I've never had God speak to me in a dream. Um, and if God speaks to you that way, I, I'm, not, I'm not judging you or doubting that. That's, that's going to be between you and Lord. But definitely don't ask me what it means because I have no idea. But, but, and I, and I, I see more where, where we have, or God speaks to you in a, you know, and I hear these, these scenarios that people put and God can do lots of things and does, but you won't doubt and you'll know when it's God. But if it's some fire and if it's some wind and it's some earthquake and you think that God is speaking to you through, you know, a picture of the Virgin Mary on the, on the frozen food aisle, um, you know, or a talking carp. We talked about that story a couple of weeks ago. You know, I just don't know about all that. I'm just, I just can never be confident in any of that. And here it says that God spoke not through ominous certain things, but through a still small voice. The guy, his name is George Bryson, and he's the head of all the churches for Calvary Chapel in Russia. He's planted tons of Calvary chapels in the country of Russia. Um, Chuck Smith uh, led him to Jesus a long time ago. And Chuck tells this story that he was, he was preaching at another church. He was guest teaching at another church. He was down by the beach somewhere. He was leaving his hotel. He was on the way. It was a Sunday evening service. And the route to the church was this way. But he, the rental car or the car that he had was a convertible and he was near the beach. And so he just said to in his heart, I, I, I just feel like going down by the beach instead of the normal route, the faster route on the freeway. So he goes around the scenic route, drives down by the beach because he's in a convertible that day. He sees a hitchhiker. He normally wouldn't pick up hitchhikers. He's on his way to preach. He picks up this hitchhiker because God tells him to. And he ends up leading the guy to the Lord. And the guy becomes George Bryson, who God uses mightily later in life. And Chuck says, it wasn't, God didn't show up in an own voice and say, oh, Pastor Chuck, oh, as the clouds thundered in the rain and make a right and go down this street and pick up this hitchhiker. It didn't happen like that at all. I just felt like going down by the beach that day. And there was a still small voice in my heart that I normally don't pick up hitchhikers, but that day I was supposed to pick him up. And God will speak in that still small voice. And listen, I, I say this, God, and we've got to be done because we're out of time. But God, God speaks in, in, in uh, a still small voice. God speaks to you through his word. God speaks to you through um, people that love you and love him for ways of confirmation. Those you always take with a grain of salt. And it's usually in confirmation. And, and then here's the thing. If God speaks something to you through a still small voice, and it contradicts what the Word of God says, it's not God speaking to you. I promise you. I had a couple who we counseled, and um, we were ha- they were having some problems with another couple in church, and my counsel to them was that they needed to forgive this other couple, and that I showed them biblically where the Bible says that that they need to, they have no choice, but they have to forgive, and, and I asked them to go home and pray and seek God, and um, spend some time with, with dad and, and, and come back and tell me what dad said. 
And they came back about a week later, and I said, what did God tell you? And, and uh, I don't remember, husband or wife looked at me and said, God told us we don't have to forgive them. Which God would that be? Because <laughs> that ain't Jesus. Because <laughs> that's contradictory to God's word. God didn't tell you that. And I told them. I told them to their face. I'm sorry, that's just not true. God didn't tell you that. God will not tell you. You know, same thing all the time. Um, hey, you're dating a non-believer. The Bible says you're not allowed to date people outside your faith. Oh, God told me I, it's okay. I can date that person. Uh, no, God didn't tell you that. That still small voice <laughs> was a different God. But it wasn't Jesus. It wasn't the word because it's contradictory to the word of God. So, again, um, when God speaks to you, one of the ways you confirm that is, is it has to be consistent with what the word of God says. Um, that's it, you guys. We got, what, three verses tonight. In the night, we were going to jam. But it was good. It was, we, covered, we covered really the, what, what we were going to cover. Um, the last little part, you guys, and maybe if I just take 30 seconds, if you would, is, is important to this story as you read through it, is um, God said, what are you doing here? Elijah told him why he was there. I alone am a prophet. And, and God says, no, you're not the only one, Elijah. I have a remnant. I have 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal or kissed his statue. Now here, I want to tell you something that flies in the face of, of what the LDS church teaches, plain and simple, is that the, um, the, the premise is, is that God had to do a redo, that there's another gospel because the first one wasn't sufficient for revelation and for everything that we need. And, so, so, and part of what Joseph Smith said was that the church was in apostasy, that the Christian church was in apostasy. Um, and there was nobody left that was that was honestly following the Lord. But that, that's really contradictory to what the Word of God says, because here in this story, what God tells Elijah and what, it, and what the feeling was, but this is true, God always has a remnant. And God says to Elijah, Elijah, you're not the only one. Elijah says, I alone am left serving you. And God says, no, you're not. I have 7,000 in Israel that have not bowed the knee to Baal nor kissed his statue. 7,000 faithful servants of mine. You're not the only one. And, and, and that biblical premise is, 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 is consistent throughout the Bible that God's always had a remnant. He will always have a remnant. Jesus said um, that, that heaven and hell will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my word will never pass away, will never fall into any kind of, of struggle. But again, last thing, God, um, God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, here's, here's the question for you is like, in your depression and sitting under the broom tree or in your struggle, what are you doing? What, what is it doing for you? What, what are you accomplishing by being here is what God was asking Elijah. And Elijah said, well, I'm here because of this and that. He said, no, 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 no. I didn't ask you why you're here. I, I want to know what is this accomplishing in your life? What good is it bringing about? And the answer, none, none. It's not. Can't run from the Lord. It's not doing any good. Amen. All right, so out of time, you guys. I'm sorry. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for Elijah. We thank you, Lord, for these stories, God. I, I thank you. There's so much in chapter 19, Lord. In two weeks already, I haven't been able to just scratch the surface. And, Lord, we, we deal with depression. We deal with, Lord, the huge topic tonight, Lord, of hearing the, the voice of God. And, Lord, how you spoke in a still, small voice. And, and, and Father, we, we ask, Lord, that... Um, Lord, we would know that still small voice. In John chapter 10, you said that my sheep know me and, and they hear my voice and I know them. And so, Lord, if we're your sheep, if, if we are children of God, the promise is that if we seek you with our whole hearts, 
that, Lord, we will know your voice. God, we will get better at, at, at deciding and, and deciphering between what's, what's a deception and, and what's, what's true. And, Lord, that we'll know. We'll know that still small voice. And, Lord, when, when we have anxiety, that, that we wait and we pause. And, Lord, when we have peace, we, we, we know that's your guiding and leading. We know, Father, that when you do speak to our hearts and you speak directly to us, as, as, you, as you are so good at doing, that, Lord, it'll be consistent with the Word of God. And it'll never contradict what the Bible says. Because you're not going to contradict yourself. And so, Father, I, again, I, I pray for each of us tonight. Lord, the, the, just the, the very difficult study that the heart is desperately wicked above all things and who can know it. And as a, as a reality, as a, as a biblical truth that, Lord, there is no good within us. But, but when you look at us, you see good because you see Jesus. And so, Father, we, we thank you that every day we would shine more like Jesus and like the love of Jesus in our hearts and lives. God, we love you. We thank you. We give you glory. I pray, Father, anybody who's going through any kind of discouragement or depression or anything like Elijah was facing, Jesus, I pray that in compassion that you would encourage them to get up and to go and to serve. And and, and there's things that that they can be doing and that we can be doing for you that will help our condition. And, Father, that in a loving way that you, you would give us instruction, that you would speak to us through a still, small voice, and challenge us, Lord, to, to serve other people and to get going and to do things, God, that you have prepared for us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, love you guys.